Hey everybody, I wanna give you a gift before we dive in. If you're at the beginning of your content marketing journey or if you've been doing it a while but it's not working as well as you want and you feel like something is missing, I wanna give you a roadmap to help you get more ROI out of your content. This is my blog remix method and it's a shortcut to go from one blog to dozens of pieces of content in less than 60 minutes. Even if you have webinars, podcasts, and video content, you can take the transcripts and follow the guidelines in the exact same way. It's a great resource. It's free. You should have it. If you haven't downloaded it already, grab it right now at justinsimon.co slash remix. If you're listening to this podcast feed, you can click the link right below and download it. Get it, read it, apply it. It takes you step-by-step step to get more value out of your blog content and get it in front of your audience. So grab the guide, get a blog, and get it running. That's my blog remix method, and it's free at justinsimon.co slash remix. Hey, everybody. Before we get started, I want to thank my friends at Hatch for producing this episode. You can get unlimited podcast editing and strategy for one flat rate by visiting hatch.fm. All right, let's get in the show. Welcome to Distribution First, the show where we flip content marketing on its head and focus on what happens after you hit publish. Each week I share playbooks, motivations, stories, and strategies to help you repurpose and distribute your content because you deserve to get the most out of everything you create. Hey everybody, on this week's episode of Distribution First, I get to join my friend Jess Cook and the Rev Genius team, and we really break down what good content marketing looks like in 2023, and these are the exact same playbooks that you can take in as you're even starting to prepare for 2024 as well. We look through a bunch of the kind of myths that we're both seeing on our different teams and the companies we're working with. We chat about how to actually achieve more without having to do more and how you can balance content production with content distribution. And then we have a ton of really good Q&A at the end. So make sure you check out that as well. But for now, let's get into the show. So we definitely want to start out with a high controversy, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> so I would love it if both of you could kind of share a myth about content marketing, maybe that you know, you've know you noticed or that you've encountered even with your own clients or at your own business and kind of debunk that for us. You or me, Jess. Go for it, Justin. Okay. So I think a myth that I see all the time is that you have to publish new content every week. You need to have this cadence. You need to have like, and typically 90% of that means we need a new blog post every single week. You might see that kind of evolving to we need a new podcast episode or we need a new YouTube video. But overall, that mindset is still there in terms of we have to have X every week to be able to somehow pull in the audience and keep you know folks interested in what we're doing and what we're creating. And I think that's just wrong for how people consume content. I know it's wrong for how I consume content. There are very few things where every single week they drop and I'm interested in them. And typically that has nothing to do with their website. Most of the time it's they send me an email or I notice it in a podcast feed. like. I'm already consuming content and I'm in that sort of mode. And so I just sort of, I'm naturally getting that. Against the mindset of the old school way we used to do and think about content marketing, which is 
at one point for me, publishing two new blog posts a week, you know, or upwards of like four new blog posts a week, which is fine if you're kind of building an engine around SEO and trying to do that. But SEO ends up being one distribution channel. And when that stuff doesn't rank or people don't click on it, you're just left with a ton of content sitting on your blog. Yeah, absolutely. Plus one to all of that. I think something I see a myth that I have learned the hard way is every piece of content has to be perfect before you hit publish. And I think that just puts a lot of unnecessary stress on content marketers to have everything super buttoned up, have, you know, this perfect design, know exactly, you know, like what's coming next. I think some of the most successful pieces of content I've ever worked on, I just knew were a great idea or something that our audience needed and I wanted to get it out quickly. And so something that I kind of promote is like create an MVC, a minimum viable piece of content and get it out there and see what happens. Like, see, is this actually something that people are craving? Like, is this resonating with some sort of need or desire or unanswered question for them? And if it is amazing, double down on it, you know, put some time into create an incredible design or use that topic in your podcast the next time. Talk about it with some experts so that you have, you know, a kind of a different format that that idea can live in, right? Figure out different ways for it to come to life. And if it doesn't work, then the great news is you didn't put a ton of unnecessary effort into it. You didn't spend months waiting for it to come back, you know, in this beautiful PDF and you built this campaign around it and now it's not resonating, right? So MVC is the way to go. I think that for me, it resonates too, because it ties in sort of with mine, at least in the way I'm thinking about it, which is we're in sort of this like social first environment Yeah. where, you know, I was thinking about it before we got on the call, like the amount of times that I, in a social feed compared to when I'm in like a Google feed, for instance, now, like those things have almost, I mean, it's probably 10 to 20 actually amount of times I'm in a, in a social feed throughout the day versus when I'm actively trying to look for something throughout the day. And so I think we just have to keep that in mind. And that's where you can do that sort of MVC on social yeah. to then understand and validate what resonates and what doesn't. And then it doesn't have to be perfect. You can get those ideas sort of bubbling and sort of build that community. I think both of us have done that on LinkedIn for a long time is just like throwing out the ideas, seeing what sticks, and then being able to build that up into bigger pieces of content. And businesses can do that too. I think creators naturally are really good at that, but businesses are kind of behind with those. Yeah, for sure. It's a great testing ground. So in terms of what's working this year, talk to us a little bit about that. Like, What are you seeing that's actually driving results? So I think for me, what I'm seeing that's actually driving results are anything and everything unique that makes you stand out. So we are just constantly inundated with content. And so I think looking at what everybody else is doing and trying to copy that is the wrong move. I think there are things you can take from those best practices and there are certain things. But I mean, if I see another like 20 LinkedIn hooks you should use in your content and then everybody's using the same three hooks, you know, over and over again, it just starts to become stale or everybody's, you know, 
carousels look the same or everybody's blog posts are formatted the same or everybody's you know youtube shorts start sounding the same because they all got the same script or so like it you know what i mean like it all just ends up feeling looking sounding everything and every once in a while there'll be that thing that actually like stops you in your feed and you're like oh that was so good and those are like that's my entire swipe file like anything where like i stop because i know to just skip like 99 of things so if anything makes me stop i sort of gravitate the, to those things and i think the funny thing is it sort of stacks on what jess was saying where it's like oftentimes it's not the polished thing like my brain wants to avoid polished things because that means somebody's going to try to sell me something and so <laughs> i think like for businesses using like especially b2b b2c is starting to do some of this but like user generated content for instance like tapping into your users to be able to create user generated content with videos with testimonials with those type of things to be able to actually bring those folks in and get an authentic perspective on the content i think is an interesting way but yeah anything you can do to kind of make yourself stand out and think uh like how can you think two steps ahead and not where stuff's at right now but think of like where does my content need to be six months from now and then just try to get there in like six weeks instead of six months oh i like that challenge accepted i think that's great i had two thoughts on this so one is we're in all of this like weird uncertainty people are really looking to like okay do i really need this tool like do I really need this, you know, new thing, this new subscription, whatever it is. And so I think something that I've noticed that feels like it's working is making sure that you're touching on like the ROI of whatever it is that you are promoting selling, right? I think that there's now this need to like, as you're trying to sell in or get buy-in from people on a team of like, yeah, I need this tool is like, what are we going to get out of it? How many teams are going to be able to use it? Like, how else can we use it, right? Like, it's, it can't just be for this one thing. Like, what other use cases are there? So I think that's a really, really big thing. Like, just showing, like, and it doesn't even have to be like a, a report that's like, you know, Forrester says that you're getting 200% ROI on our tool. Like, it can be, like you said, Justin, a customer interview saying, you know, I got like four hours back every week. Like that's ROI right there, you know? So I think it doesn't have to come in the form of something really formal. It can be really authentic and kind of scrappy. And I think the second thing that I was thinking was allowing your internal people to show off their expertise, which then just automatically like increases the level of your company's credibility, right? So like Justin and I are very vocal on LinkedIn and like that, has done a lot for, you know, our companies, our past companies in terms of like just people hearing about those companies. And so I think there's a lot of places now, I even just saw like Cisco is training their tens of thousands of employees on how to build a personal brand because they realize like they need something, right? Cisco is kind of a, a faceless big tech company and they need to bring that humanity back. So Anything you can do to get your people talking, not about your company, but about their expertise within your company is like just a huge credibility builder. Yeah. And even the like Cisco is a great example of like, you know, that big faceless company, but any company on social or email, like it's all 
a big faceless company, right? Like at yeah. the end of the day, like I don't resonate with any icon. I don't resonate with any right. logo, but I resonate if, you know, Jess from Lasso sent me an email and I feel like, oh, and I follow Jess and now I'm getting her email and like, oh, we're buds. So yeah. I, I want to, you know, I want to, I want to be a little bit more bought into what Lasso's doing or whoever or however that ends up being. I think that is a huge undertaking for a lot of companies. Like it's so much easier, like, oh yeah, just, you know, have everybody build personal brands, like be easy, like build yes. an audience. But it's really, really difficult as somebody who's tried to do that at multiple companies, like people, it's hard for folks. Like it's not easy for folks to just naturally do it. I think for content folks on this call or like, you know, me and Jess, like it's easier for us because we're used to creating content. We're used to yeah, writing stuff. We we're used to doing that. It's, it's what we do. A little bit more difficult for, you know, the customer service team or the sales team who's not used to doing that. So I think there's an education and a leap there, but yeah. yes, definitely worth investing in. So in terms of, um, you guys have mentioned, you know, really trying to like achieve more with less, repurposing content. So what are your like top recommendations for kind of achieving that in terms of content production and then distributing that content? To write it down and do it. <laughs> I think, you know, it's like, it's so basic. So many people I talk to, you know, it's, they don't even have a plan. It's just hoping that stuff works out and hope's great, but it's, never is going to happen there you know time is sort of like it's a va like it's a vacuum you're it's going to fill one way or the other so are you going to fill it with like you know junk tasks that don't really do anything like you're checking email 100 times a day or you're going to you know try to create 20 new pieces of content or are you going to fill the vacuum with you know trying to actually get that content in front of the audience understand what they're doing how they're interacting with it it sounds so basic, but it is true. Like my whole thing is like distribution first, distribution first framework, but that's the whole idea behind it is putting distribution ahead of your creation to know yeah. ideally after I create this content, what happens? Like having that answer as a con head of content or even as a writer to understand, you know, after we make this, what happens? Cause I know like a lot of like creative folks, whether it was writers or video folks on my teams in the past, they would their whole lives were built around creating this content. And oftentimes they didn't know how it was being used. Was it successful? Was it not? And a lot of that came down to distribution and understanding how people are going to actually find that. So that's, you know, my sort of initial take on that is just really trying to focus on what happens after we hit publish. Do we have a plan? Is it written down? Or do we know what channels? Do we know how this content fits into the overall strategy? Does it even, you know, yes, no. So many times we end up creating content because somebody asked for it and we don't second, you know, we don't second, you know, guess it or, or you know, kind of push back or just, you know, ask those questions to make sure it fits in with the strategy. And the other thing I would say, you know, real quick, and then I'd love to hear Jess's take too, is audit what you have. So like get a baseline of what is existing because I know a lot of times in the past or with clients that I've worked with, you end up creating duplicates in a lot of ways. And it just ends up, again, more wasting time. I literally was on a, on a team once where three different teams created roughly the same video that all <laughs> went on YouTube. And so it all ended up competing. It's like, what are we doing? And so again, like communication is such a big part of that, especially when you get on a bigger team and understanding those things, who's creating what and for what reason. Yeah, 
I think too, Justin, I love that that was your recommendation because mine really like piggybacks off of that. When you think about where this is going to go before you create it, you create it very differently than you would had you not thought about that. So if you're thinking in your mind, okay, when this piece is done, we're going to be able to distribute it in social. We're also going to have some paid social. We're going to use it in email. We're going to have some sort of kind of, you know, paid LinkedIn creator campaign around it, right? Like if you already know all of those things, then when you create it, you're sitting down and you're thinking, okay, how am I going to build this in a way that's going to make it very easy for me to pull pieces out into those channels that they're going to go into, right? You might not do the same thing that you would do had you not thought about that first. Um, So for instance, Lasso, we took a look at our case studies this year and we really thought about you know, how do we want to get the most out of these as possible? And the way that they were structured at the time just didn't allow for that. It was kind of the same problem, solution, result, um, very text heavy. And so we were like, let's like totally rethink this. And let's think about it from a way of like, we want to just be able to easily pull some of this stuff out and post about it to get people into the deeper piece, right? Smaller kind of bite-sized pieces to get them into the the bigger, larger page. And the way that we created it was like very, you know, we st- you still have the idea of the problem, the solution, the result, but it's organized in a way that is really interesting to read. There's some customer videos in there. We have words verbatim from those customers in like an accordion. So if you're a video person, you can watch a video. If you're a text person, you can read the answers. You know, we have kind of the use cases uh, spelled out. But what that's done for us is now like I can just run in and grab one of those videos and use it as a social post and build a bit of context around it. And people are like, oh yeah, I got to know more about how that happened, right? And so then they're going to the bigger piece. But had we not thought about like, how are we going to distribute these case studies? I think we'd still be using that old kind of format, right? Um, Because it's just, that's just how case studies are written. (laughs) And so I think what it did was one, it helped us stand out. Our case studies look very different than a lot of what's out there. And two, it just made our job so much easier when it came to repurposing. Yeah, that's a really good one. I think that's a huge mistake or maybe a realization that folks have when they start trying to repurpose content. And I always tell people, when you're thinking about social repurposing email, however you want to distribute that content, you have to think about distributing that content as if the link back to the original content didn't exist. Yes. Because people don't, I mean, you know, you're talking about driving people back to that, you know, case study, and there may be a percentage that do that, but it's going to be low because we just know the you know, the, the amount of people, the amount of times you click off anything on on a social feed is probably, you know, under 1% of the time. And so I think that is understanding from point one. And, you know, as you start to audit some of your older content, like in your case, it was case studies, but it could be blogs, like start looking at a couple of your last three to five blog posts that you published and say, okay, if we were to cut this up into social content or email content, could we do it? How would we do it? it? What What's good? What's bad? What, you know, what about this makes this really easy? What about this makes it really difficult? And then when you can start to audit those things and understand, it starts to frame up, okay, the next time we have a blog post, let's not do it this way. You know, let's add some bullets. Let's add some lists. Let's add, you know, 
some different elements within here that are more easily transferable over to social and be able to think about it that way. I'm curious, Jess, because this is something that I've been thinking about. A lot of companies still want to measure content success off of clicks to the website. Yeah. And I think that's wrong thinking. I think we need to start evolving from like page view equals success to just like content view equals success. Like people watching that video from that case study is a success. You got people to interact with the content that you created more so than if it was sitting on your website where they didn't know it existed. And that's okay. And that's a win. I mean, do you see that the same way? Absolutely. And actually, I, Rebecca, I just saw posted in the in the chat, zero click content. Like, yes, 100%. Think about it in that way that like, someone might click on it, and but it's additive, right? They shouldn't have to click on it to learn. They shouldn't have to click on it to get something of value. And I think that just goes back to what you were just saying, Justin, like if they're getting value out of the post without having to get to your website, then you've done your job. And this is actually something you and I have talked about before is this idea of the repurposing multiplier. So nice setup there. I appreciate that. And this is this is like a metric that requires a bit of like back of the napkin math, but it can help you show how you're getting people to understand your message, get value from your brand without having to go to the website, without having to get a page view. And so the it goes kind of like something like this, right? Where... You decide you're going to repurpose, let's say, this case study, and you are kind of putting these social posts out there. You are using it in email. And what you kind of have to do is go in and figure out, like, okay, impressions on that piece of content, that one video from, you know, the emails and these social posts add up to X, right? But people who went to the full case study was Y. And what's kind of the difference between that? And again, like that repurposing multiplier it is really, really important because you might be able to see like, you know, we saw 12 times the people see a repurposed piece of content than saw the original long form piece of content. And they're still getting our message. They're still understanding our point of view. They're still getting that value, but they didn't have to go to the site. And those kind of things will then show up in like, how did you hear about us? Oh, I saw you on LinkedIn, right? I might never have gone to the website. So I think that's a really, really great kind of modern KPI in this new age of like, don't create as much, definitely repurpose more, but how do you measure that, right? You kind of have to go in and take a look and do a little bit of that addition yourself because there's not really a great way to measure that systematically just yet. So we got a great question in the chat and I just want to make sure that we can get to this. Andy asked, what are your thoughts about separating content creation from distribution as roles or responsibilities on the team? Ooh, I think the more overlap both those roles could have with each other, the better. I've had folks on my team who were purely what you'd call probably distribution folks, like so, like a traditional social media manager, maybe an email marketer, understood how to get that message out. They were completely separate from the content creators. And that often led to silos of knowing what was going on. And then neither of the... It's, it's much harder to connect those dots. I think that's one of the things I'm realizing right now is in order for folks to effectively create content for distribution, they have to understand the distribution channels, which is different, right? Like I think traditionally I could sit down as a content marketer and write blog posts 
and understand maybe SEO as a distribution channel. I didn't have to worry about email and I didn't have to worry about social and da 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 da. I think that's kind of not an option anymore for a lot of writers, especially moving forward. Understanding how the content you're creating can be repurposed, repackaged, remixed on social, in email, other distribution channels. That's what's going to set you apart. And that's what's going to make, like Jess mentioned, that's what's going to make that content better from the beginning. So I feel like the more you can align those things, the better. And honestly, the more you can align them, as somebody who talks with a lot of companies, you are going to have a massive competitive advantage because most companies are sitting in silos. Yeah. And I will add, I think that that gets harder as the team gets bigger, right? Because there are people who have very specific focus in terms of like, I am the content creator around editorial. I am the branded content creator, right? And I am, then you have your growth team over here and you have your field teams over here. And like, they're all distributing things. They all have a content need, but no one is kind of talking to each other because you're all mixed up in your own day-to-day stuff. So I think that gets harder as the team gets larger. For small teams, it's a little bit easier actually, because usually the content creator is the person kind of, and also the social media manager, also the person that like, you know, writes the emails. And so like, you have kind of a map in your mind of like where this is going to go as you're creating it. And so, you know, folks on those larger teams, like you have to be very strategic about partnering with those people who distribution is part of their role, like come to them with with ideas on how it could get there, like feed them that because that, like Justin said, that is now part of your job and giving them that ammo is just going to like really set you apart from other content marketing managers. Do we want to get to this one about educating execs? Ooh, where'd that go? Uh, I was just reading it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll read it. I don't know. I'm, I'm taking over this webinar. Do, do it. Have, do it. Do you have, <laughs> do you have any tips for educating executives on the concept that traffic and clicks are no longer KPIs for content and slash marketing? Jess, I'm going to let you roll with this one and then I'll fill in. I love that question because I think that is, yeah, you have to get buy-in for that. I think part of it is keeping track of both, right? And making sure that you're showing like, these are the page views versus these are the impressions we got on repurposing. And look at that, right? Like, look at the difference. And I think it just kind of takes, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, you have to, you know, you know, okay. But like when I was a creative director and the client would ask for like, I really want to see this in green or whatever they wanted. Right. And it was like, Okay, we just kind of have to show them that version of it to show them that it doesn't work, right? And sometimes you have to do that for people to be like, yep, you are right. That doesn't look right. Or that doesn't jive with the business goals or whatever, right? So I think that's part of it. You still have to present that like, here are the page views. Here are the kind of traditional KPIs that maybe aren't aligned with user behaviors anymore, And then here are kind of the ones we really want to track. And you can kind of start to see the delta between the two. And that's why this one is so important. And this one maybe is less important. So I I think it just takes a bit of handholding sometimes. How about you, Justin? Yeah, in in my experience, the content folks are so much more close to the reality of what's going on. And your, your executives, your VPs, your CMO, like they might have a rough idea, but they're dealing with 
a lot of other issues yeah. than like your page views in your sessions. So I think you being the expert in all of those things, and and hopefully you've got a relationship or you're building up that relationship with your executives to be seen as the expert, a trusted resource on the team, somebody we can go to who knows what they're talking about, can deliver results. That's like baseline of like just that relationship. Because the next step from there is being able to tell that story, find the data and tell the story. I've done this multiple times throughout my career. And when you can not come to something with a gut story or with like a gut feeling, but come with some data to support your angle of, and again, you know, you can work that data how you want, but like show what you're seeing. Like if you're feeling like, Hey, our content isn't performing how we like, or I feel like how we're measuring the content isn't correct, you know, start to think through that. Like, how would you present that? How would you talk about that with them? Ask, what's the end goal of this? Maybe work with your exec to even understand, like, what are your goals for content? Like, what what do you think the goals are? So like, you might assume they have particular things, but they're like, I don't know, like organic traffic. And you're like, ah, crap. Okay, we've got to reset here. Like if organic traffic is our goal, then we got to, you know, because then you can go into GA and filter and you can say, well, here, you know, if that's the case, you can start to build that case up, right? Well, here's the last 20 blog posts we did. One of them ranks organically. All the rest of our top ranking organic posts are the ones we wrote five years ago, which as somebody who audits a lot of content, that's basically how it goes. You know, (laughs) 20% of those posts that you create are driving that traffic. So that's when you can start to build that case and build that story to say, all right, how do you buy? How do you experience content? What are the ways that you, you know? And again, like, I think it's not like you have one meeting and you flip your exec's brain on these things. In my experience, it's a very slow kind of methodical thing. Or you can also, I've mentioned this before in a lot of in a lot of different things that I talk about, but like talk about a pilot, what that might look like to just try some stuff, right? Like, hey, for two months, for four weeks, for whatever that sort of time plot you can do, can we try to do X, Y, and Z and not do X, Y, and Z and start to get some baselines and see those things? I think the repurposing multiplier is huge when you can say, you know, we went from getting 500 views on this web page over the last quarter to, well, when we started posting it on LinkedIn, we got, you know, 10,000 impressions and a thousand extra views on the content. Okay. We we doubled it. Right. And you can start to see like, well, is it apples to apples? They didn't view the whole thing. Well, okay, that's fine. That's a more nuanced conversation, but at least you can get the ball rolling. Yeah. And I would even go back a step further of like, what is the business goal for content? Like, what are we actually trying to achieve with content for the business? Is it net new logos, booking demos? Okay, that's a big deal. Okay, now we know that. Like, is organic traffic the right thing to be tracking for that goal. Let's talk about that, right? So I think you really have to back all of that up to like a starting point of business goal to kind of figure out what then matters in terms of like the marketing KPIs and then what activities are going to drive that and then what to measure to know that that's happening, right? So it is a bit of like working backwards from that point to kind of figure out what needs to be measured and, you know, whether that's kind of a traditional measurement or something new that you might have to sell in a bit. So we have 
about six questions right now that we haven't answered yet. So let's get started on these. Jonathan asks, if value is what everyone wants, and it is, what method or process do you use to determine the value your audience is looking for? Ask them. (laughs) I think it's really important to be super close to your customers, your prospects, people who would be buyers, right? So I actually just had lunch on Friday with a customer and I was like, how do you like to learn? Like, do you, what's your preferred way to like get content from a piece of software that you use, you know? And he had some awesome answers for me that I could have never come to on my own. So I think part of it is just regularly getting in front of your customers, talking to them, understanding their needs, understanding what value looks like to them, you know? And I think that comes in the form of like, what challenges are you having right now? What could you use help solving? And really understanding that and then taking that back and like, all right, we need to, hey guys, we need to create a piece of content around this. Like two of the three customers I talked to this month are struggling with it, right? So I think that's that's really important. Just, I mean, it comes down to asking really good questions. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think having those conversations is invaluable, especially as you're trying to, and those conversations, it doesn't have to be a Zoom call. It doesn't have to be a, a dinner. You know, those conversations yeah. happen a lot of time for me on social. I'm interacting with folks. I'm seeing what's interesting, what's not interesting, what things resonate, what don't, what questions get asked, emails that come in, you know, when somebody signs up to my email newsletter and then they, you know, shoot me back a question with, you know, their top, (laughs) the top thing that they're trying to, to figure out, you know, that all of those little touch points are areas where you can start to figure out what resonates with your audience. Because at the end of the day, I think what Jess touched on is huge it's helping them solve the pain and be the hero of their own story. It's, you know, marketing kind of cliche at this point, but my job is to make other people's jobs easier (laughs) at the end of the day and make them look better, regardless (laughs) of if that's, you know, me and, you know, my clients or helping create content that my clients, clients eventually, you know, end up wanting to be able to, to work through. So, yeah, I think, the more that you deeply, deeply understand your customers, your prospects, your audience, et cetera, the more you can kind of just it kind of be ahead of what they're thinking or feel like you've got that just intimate knowledge of what's on their mind, the better you're going to be. Otherwise, it's all going to be a guessing game. And yeah. I've marketed that way before, especially early in my career, and it stinks. You don't know, you know, I think this is the, you know, I think this is going to work. I think this is going to resonate. And oftentimes you're, you're most likely wrong. So we have another question from Jonathan also. And as someone who was in sales and then transitioned to marketing, I am very interested (laughs) in this answer. So he asks, how do you navigate the tension between demand gen and gated content versus ungated content to create value for free to increase incoming leads? (laughs) Just. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, I love this question. I think, I feel like the gated, ungated, this is just going to be like, This is a never ending debate, which I love. I think that's super healthy. Okay. I think I used to say ungate everything, ungate it all, never, never put anything behind a gate, but I have slightly changed my mind on that. I think if you have something so, so valuable, right? I think it, here's the thing with gating. (laughs) Let me back up a little bit. The thing with gating is if you ask someone to give you information and what you give them is not worth that information, you've completely obliterated the trust. And so I think you really have to think long and hard about, is this worth it? 
Is this something that's going to make them look super smart, like a hero, like Justin said? Give them a tool that they didn't have that's going to help them solve something at work and their boss is going to be like, that was amazing, you know? And how did you do that, right? Is this going to be something they're going to share with people that like it's that good that they want to tell others about it? So I think you really have to, if you're going to gate something, there is value in that. I think you just have to have a killer piece of content behind that gate. How about you, Justin? I am with you. I think from a purely a content marketing perspective, I almost never want to gate anything. Yeah. Uh, But what I'll say is that gating content is not a content problem. The reason being is it's a business problem because oftentimes businesses have, the reason you're gating content is because there's something downstream that's happening for why you would even gate that content. So you might have SDRs who are set up to, follow up with those leads who are then you're going to work those things down, et cetera, et cetera. You might have nurture emails set up based off that off of all those things. And so just saying like, no more gated content, like that doesn't work because it's going to have downstream effects in the business that you as the content creator or content marketer, you can't account for all those, you know, if there's a team of, of sales folks set up to be able to nurture all these leads and then you pull out the biggest lead source for all of them what are we supposed to do with all these salespeople now? Like, what are, what are we doing? So I think you have to understand that it's not just a content problem. It's an entire company and business problem. But I think as a content person, you can start to have those conversations, just like we were talking about with, with the leadership and executive side, have those conversations with your execs who can then have those conversations with their executive peers and understand like, what are we doing here? How can we make this better? How are those leads that you're getting off of this content? Like, how are those converting? Like, start to really maybe dig into that data a little bit more to understand what's working, what's not. And then also understand that different types of content, like not every lead is the same. Not every lead gen piece is the same. Not every piece of gated content is the same. So I think just being able to understand what those things are and and how you might use those. And I'm trying to think the final thing that I had mentioned, which I truly, truly believe in is like our job as content marketers is to educate the market, not just on our products, but on the problems and the solutions and all of those things that our customers want to solve so they can live a better, happier life. That's at the end of the day, our job is to educate on our points of view, on our sort of ways we can go about helping folks. And the more that we can do that, the more we're actually going to end up helping those customers and have them easily buy into what we've got going on versus just like, well, now they're a lead. I'm just a lead in their funnel. Great. You know, like nobody wants to be a lead. For sure. So we did get a few questions about AI. So I think this will probably be the last one that we can answer. But just kind of generally, how are both of you using AI? And how are you educating management or clients about the role of AI versus replacing a team? Um, we are actively like testing out AI tools, trying to bring it into our workflow, trying to understand like where it works best. A couple places that we are definitely, is it frozen? Am I freezing? No, no. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm laughing at comments. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, one place we are using it is, you know, generative AI. I think something I always think about is like, this is the worst it's ever going to get. But we still need to be like figuring out how it works for us now, because as it gets better, it's just going to make our jobs a lot easier. So something that we like to do is like we're making sure that 
We have a really structured outline. We really understand like our voice, our tone, our understanding of like what does quality look like for our brand. And that like we're not using AI to generate like a whole piece of content because I just don't think the quality is there. And then when the quality is not there, the credibility is not there and it has a big snowball effect. But I do think we want to try to use it to make sure like we're not, we don't have any gaps. We're not missing any really key important points. We're not like thinking about, we don't have any kind of blind spots that like might already be out there in other, you know, blog posts that are ranking. And so like, we want to make sure we include those. So bringing it in after you have a really well-structured piece feels like a good kind of time to bring that in. And then another way we're using it is um, in our uh, with our podcast. Um, there are tons of tools out there now: uh, Pod Squeeze, Cast Magic, uh, Summarize, where you it will help you kind of identify like here were the key takeaways and key takeaways and the kind of timestamps that go with them, um, so that you don't have to spend you know I used to spend an hour or two like combing through that stuff and finding the best clips so I could repurpose it, and now that's a lot easier. All right, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Distribution First, and thank you for listening all the way through. I appreciate you so, so much. And I hope you're able to apply what you learned in this episode one way or another into your content strategy as well. Speaking of strategy, we have a lot of things going on this year that are gonna help you build your brand, 10X your content, and transform the way you do content marketing. Make sure to subscribe to the show and sign up for my newsletter at justinsimon.co so you don't miss a thing. I look forward to serving you in the next episode as well. And until then, take care and I'll see you next time.